0: It's time for Talk, Paper, Scissors, and I'm over the moon to share another interview with an awesome design and print entrepreneur with you. Britt Rohr, founder of Swell Press in Los Angeles, California, joins us today on the podcast. Woo! So Britt attended her first letterpress workshop in early 2014, and a few months later, she bought her first letterpress. Britt continued her letterpress journey as a side hustle and set up a garage studio working on wedding invitations and pieces for friends and friends of friends. She continued to work at her day job while growing her letterpress business until May 2017 when she decided to take a six month leave to give Swell Press a go full time. From attending that very first letterpress workshop to now, Her business has grown substantially, she's purchased new equipment, and she has continued to learn the craft of printing on different types of presses. She's moved three times, eventually into her dream studio space where she works now, and she hired a dream team of women to work with her part-time and then eventually full-time. Britt's work has been featured in Martha Stewart Weddings, The Knot, and Oh So Beautiful Paper, among other news outlets. Brit combines old and new technologies to create her beautiful pieces. She uses letterpress technology that's pretty much the same as Gutenberg, perfected over 500 years ago, basically inking up and pressing a raised image onto paper. However, instead of using movable type, which are individual letters assembled to create the design, she uses polymer plates, which are flexible plastic, and that means she can create her designs digitally using software like Adobe InDesign or Adobe Illustrator. Now these plates are very similar to those used in flexographic printing to produce all kinds of packaging and labels. Designing digitally means that Brit has much more control over her design, as well as virtually unlimited access to typefaces versus having to physically own movable type. It's comparable to wanting to watch a movie and being able to stream hundreds or thousands of movies on a service like Netflix versus having to actually own hundreds or thousands of DVDs to get the same level of choice. The latter is expensive, cumbersome, and less functional than the digital option. Designing for letterpress digitally provides access to all the benefits of using computer design software with the letterpress technology and beautiful cotton paper which accomplishes an artisanal, textural, and handmade feel. Letterpress printing takes the finished product to a whole new level every time. Although she and I can talk all day about everything paper and printing and ink and presses, today's chat will focus on the areas of design, color, and typography. There's so much I can't wait to talk to her about, so let's dive right in. Thank you, Britt, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So I've been following you on Instagram for a long, long time, and every post you have is gorgeous. And for those of you who don't know, you can find uh, Britt and her work at Swell Press, S-W-E-L-L-P-R-E-S-S. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, I live in Southern California in a little beach town called Manhattan Beach. And I, like you said, run a company called Spell Press. I started out, I might be jumping ahead, actually, I'm not sure, but I started out, um, I actually moved to California about 12 years ago, and I moved out here actually to be, I want to be an art director in film and television. So it was, you know, kind of artistically leaning. Um, but you know, I moved from Atlanta. So LA was the place to be. So I moved here. And then I took a, a letterpress lesson. Um, and, you know, I grew a love for it. And then, then, you know, I'm skipping 12 years. But now here I am, basically.
0: I feel as though we're kindred spirits. I, yes, I live in the world of print and design as well. So I completely get where you're coming from. There's, it's, it's an awesome place to be and work.
1: Yeah. It's funny because, you know, like if you had asked me maybe like six years ago where I thought I would be, like I had a totally different trajectory set aside for my life. Like I was moving up in the world in like film and television production. And then all of a sudden, you know, letterpress just kind of turned my world upside down. So.
0: I love it. Where do you find the inspiration for your designs?
1: I find a lot of inspiration from nature, which I feel like might be kind of obvious if you see the work I do. You know, I love like a beach wedding. I love a desert wedding. Um, there's just certain landscapes and certain things about like the environment that I gravitate towards. Like I love the texture of leaves. I'm fortunate to live in a really beautiful area and I live really close to the beach so just seeing things like going out into the water you know like right now it's like 6 30 so it's kind of golden hour and like the water has this like beautiful like metallic surface over it which kind of reminds me of like holographic foil and the leaves have like the light shining through them where you can see their texture which kind of reminds me of like the blind impression in leaves so i get a lot of inspiration from nature i also this is random but i also get a lot of inspiration from like (laughs) the grocery store But specifically, like, liquor and alcohol labels, like, sometimes I think that those are so well done, just as far as their design. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what it is with the liquor. It's like the budgets, they've got the good, they've got, like, the good budgets to handle great designers. Yeah, but sometimes if I'm, I know it sounds weird, but sometimes if I can't get inspired, I walk around Trader Joe's and look at wine labels.
0: (laughs) That's a fantastic tip for any, any designer out there, anyone looking to spark creativity. What a great place to go for a stroll. (laughs) I agree. You can get a glass of wine and loosen up, but really it's like, because
1: I, (laughs) I try specifically not to look at other stationers or other design. Um, and I think like it's having an eye, not necessarily for like seeing something and copying exactly, but then really like having the ability to kind of like dissect what it is you like about that certain thing. And why is it that you like it? And then taking that why and implementing that in your unique way.
0: I love that approach. The idea of taking something from a different industry and applying it to what you do. Yeah. So I think there's, there's so much value in that. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know,
1: it's great because you also, you know, you don't want to look like everyone else in your industry, but it's, I mean, and I think I've, I mentioned this, once before somewhere else but it was funny because like I always have my phone on me because inspiration strikes at like any moment like sometimes I see like a piece of trash (laughs) and it's like the colors are like so pretty on like whatever label it is or something and I'm like I have to take a picture yeah so I think inspiration can just be found in any places and then also just the medium itself of letterpress like I've always designed for letterpress I was kind of a letterpress printer first and then a designer second so I think I also look at design in a totally different way as far as like I'm looking at it like in textures and in layers and overprinting and very letterpress specific things which I also think is important too it's like to really really know the medium that you're designing in because then you can know what the possibilities are
0: I agree. I agree completely. And I love that you come at it from the print side first versus the design side for exactly those reasons. Yeah. Can you walk us through your typical design process with the client? Yeah. So typically um, like for
1: a custom client, they'll reach out and they'll have some type of mood board. Sometimes it's very literal. It's, you know, examples of like past work that I've done. Other times it's a lot more just like vibey. Like maybe it's some textures they're using in their, you know, wedding suite or like, colors or things like that um both of those kind of equally excite me you know my i love it when i get a mood board that's like abstract art or like music posters or things like that because that's really fun to me when when i have a client where i have the opportunity to make maybe an art piece first and then it's and then a wedding invitation second that really excites me so it's a mood board and then from there you know we go through like the quoting process and explaining that you know like the the contractual stuff, but typically it takes, you know, anywhere from like one to three weeks to work on that first initial design. That phase is like the typical creative phase that I feel like I've seen like tons of memes about where it's like, there's a long period where I'm procrastinating. And then there's a period where I'm getting really excited about it. And then there's the time where I think that this is going to be impossible and I suck and I don't know why I'm doing this. (laughs) And then i finally do it. So it's like, it's generally that timeline. Um, But I usually present anywhere from like two to four initial concepts, you know, that are all kind of fleshed out in varying degrees. I always kind of have my favorite hidden in there somewhere. And then from there, the client and I kind of refine the concepts. And sometimes it's super easy. They like, you know, concept A, or sometimes we go and we try to combine different elements throughout the various concepts. And then after that the design is completed and they sign like a plate proof which basically, you know, means that once we order the letterpress plates, nothing can be changed because this isn't like digital printing, it's, you know, polymer plates, and then we go into production.
0: That's, that's a great run through. Thank you. I guess my next question is around color and you've already alluded to this a bit. So the client will bring in a mood board or they'll bring in some inspiration that they have. And also you referred to your inspiration coming from nature and colors, uh, even in, in trash you'd find on the street. In trash, yeah, don't forget. <laughs> so how, how do you choose colors? For a project, like in terms of those two to four designs uh, options that you provide a client, are there different color palettes, or is it usually the same? How, how do you work with color? Yeah, it's usually like a bigger color
1: palette, and then the design captures that in a different way. And it really depends on what we're designing and how many chances there are to use color. So for a, you know a save the date, usually it's one page and then an envelope, so it's only a few chances to use color versus an invitation, which can be three, four, seven pieces, and then we can use a bunch of different colors. So the great thing about letterpress ink, obviously, is that you can mix any color you want. You can get these like really bright neons that you can't get in digital printing. So that's something, um, that's a place where I can kind of get excited because I have free reign to choose any color I want. And then there's the colors of paper, which while there's hundreds of colors of paper, they still, you know there's limited there's not like I've been looking for that perfect like clay terracotta color for like 3 years now it doesn't exist um I went so far once as to print my own because I wanted it and it didn't exist so I like digitally printed like a full bleed of paper essentially but typically I you know I work between like the pantonings and then I have color swatches of all the different
0: vendors we use for paper so what's the most number of colors you've ever printed on a single job
1: I think maybe like Five, maybe it was like, maybe a landscape
0: piece was five colors or something. What's the typical number of colors you'd use in a given invitation, let's say?
1: Usually it's two. Like most things I do have, you know, sometimes it's blind impression where there's no ink, but there's still an impression, which we count as a quote unquote color, because you still have to do the same amount of work. The only change is that you're not actually applying color. So usually it's blind and then like an additional color. Sometimes I'll do three colors if it's something where there's going to be like a landscape and I really want the overprinting and I want different options of the colors to show up. So, I would say like 2 to 3.
0: Do you have any examples, recent examples of those really those really amazing inks that you can't achieve on a digital press? Like are there any projects recently that you I'm trying to think. I don't think I've posted anything neon in a while.
1: But I guess, I think I will soon. But yeah, and even some, like, some neon colors don't really show up on screen, so I just have to show people a picture and kind of tell them to trust me. Yeah, but letterpress neons are really great. Um, letterpress and screen printing are like a great way to get really bright neons. Um, but yeah, digital just won't cut it for that.
0: What's your favorite thing about the letterpress technology as, as a whole? What do you like best about it? I know it's a big loaded question. I'm biased, I think everything looks better in
1: letterpress, so there's that, and I love a deep impression, but I also love the way you can really get creative with colors and overprinting. Um, And I think what makes letterpress unique, again, like compared to screen printing, like screen printing, the inks are opaque. So if you print one color over another, you can't see the bottom color. Typically, I know there's things you can do to change that, but just as a general rule. Whereas letterpress inks, because they're transparent, I think there's like I really like working with that and having a lot of fun with that. And again, it's like someone could have a you know they could pay for three colors of the save the date, maybe let's say, but I can give them the look of you know of five colors because I'm the way I'm overprinting. I recently did a landscape, which I think looked like it had it was. I think it was four colors but if you looked at it it looked like there were six because one of the colors was a half tone and then the other color was like an overprinting so I think also just being able to have more fun with that.
0: Yeah, and you can be strategic and you can offer the client almost more value for uh, for their money by being creative with how you mix the colors. Yeah. So how do you choose fonts? Oh so we dealt with color. How do you work with fonts? There's so many beautiful fonts to choose from. I am obsessed. I am obsessed with fonts. I use
1: Creative Market or My Fonts or just other random like type foundries sometimes. You know, sometimes there's a really rare font that you can only buy on like a random website for a hundred bucks or something like that. Um, I, oh, I spend all day looking at fonts sometimes. (laughs) I love it. It's, I mean, usually I'm guided by the client because they usually know what they want. They either want like they're open to serifs or they want a block font or they want a really illegible script or they want a script font that's still legible or something like that. So I usually have that type of guidance. And then from there I have my favorites, you know, I kind of have like my flavor, my flavor of like the months with fonts, you know, sometimes I'll always use like the same sans serif sub font. Sometimes I'll always use like the same italics font. So I definitely go through phases where I'm obsessed with fonts and then sometimes I get sick of (laughs) it.
0: Yeah. I find that's the most challenging part of any project is, is, Finding the right font, and just you could spend all day just scrolling through.
1: Yeah. And then I think, you know, when they start to kind of like pick up speed and you see them everywhere, they kind of lose their magic, which is a bummer because then, you know, I they just don't excite me as much. You know, like right now, there's a lot of like the retro, like the serif fonts that are really thick and then they get really thin, like those are really popular. And just some of the weird, like throwback fonts that are more like branding and music postery and a little bit less flooding, but I can use them for weddings like sometimes because my clients are like super unique like that. Like I love, I love that what's going on now, but it's starting to get like a little bit too much where I think everything's kind of looking the same. So then I kind of get over it and I'm like, okay,
0: what's the next thing? <laughs> now I'm in love with everything you do. Honestly, like quite honestly, I I lose track of time <laughs> scrolling through Instagram <laughs> and I know it's probably very difficult. Do you have any favorite projects? Maybe not favorite ever. If you have a favorite ever, that's great. Or even just recent favorite projects and why? Why do you like them? Yeah, I'm like I have a couple. How much time
1: do we have? Um, my favorite. Let me. It's well, it's funny because pre COVID, I had so many like really unique wedding invitations that I've designed with like really unique characteristics, like nothing I'd ever done. Um, And we were like about to go in production for some that I was so excited to share. And then the weddings are postponed, you know, some indefinitely, some I'll get to, you know, bring to life next spring, maybe. So I was kind of bummed that I didn't get to share those. One of those have like a screen printed canvas backing One of them had like this die cut landscape. So it was a lot of cool stuff. I think all of my, the landscape ones that we do, which are, you know, usually like a square save the date with like multiple ink colors. I love those. I think they're so beautiful. They're just something about like the really deep impression and the solid colors, which are super hard to get, that I I love those. I also posted... I posted a peak of one today, it's August 19th, if anyone wants to look at my Instagram, because I don't know when this is going <laughs> to pull up, but I posted a peak of one today that I printed on Instagram a couple weeks ago, um, and it was a three-color knockout, which for anyone listening, a knockout is basically like The opposite of print. So you're printing the space around a letter or a word or an object and then the negative space is the letter. So the negative space is what the paper is. So that kind of puffs up. That's called a knockout, but it was like a three color overprint knockout. So that was just really fun for me. It was actually a concept that I presented as a custom job that was denied, but I loved it so much. I just wanted to print it anyway and just see if it could be done. So I changed the names, I changed the details and I printed it, but I'll be sharing that in a couple of days. And I, that was one that I was really, really proud of just as far as like the registration and the skill and all of that stuff.
0: It sounds absolutely beautiful. I'm excited to check it out after this. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> so you have, speaking of Instagram, you have quite the following and I think you're right now at around 75,000 followers. I, mean, I think I'm just, un- just under that. Okay. <laughs> so you're not quite there yet, but you're... Yeah, no, maybe it will. Be... <laughs> I won't hold it against you. <laughs> um, what Were there any posts or any kind of exposure that helped you get that massive following? Yeah. Um, I th-
1: you know, at first when I was getting started, I had less pressure on me as far as running a business and making a profit. And I was able to do a little bit more things for fun. So a couple things really got me exposure. Like one thing was that I sent, I just made this blogger, these note cards and I sent them to her and she posted them. And I think like in one day I got like, you know, a couple thousand followers. And then, so that was huge. And that was a couple years ago. Um, I've done a couple things for Pantone over the years. So one time they posted my work. Um, another time they asked me to create some content for them, and so that's always been really huge for me. Just getting reposted by Pantone, and you know they don't discriminate as far as like the size of the audience. Like I think when I first posted with them, I had only a couple thousand, so that was just really exciting to to get that type
0: of exposure. Absolutely, any time that you can have Pantone in your your corner. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah,
1: I know. It's crazy. Sometimes I'm like, that's so weird. I'm like starstruck.
0: (laughs) I was reading your blog and I, I read that in 2015, you launched a line of greeting cards because everyone else was doing it. Yes. Uh, Your enthusiasm waned, you quickly changed course. So you decided it wasn't for you and that really everyone's on their own path. And I really admire that. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, I think
1: that was an important lesson for me, you know, in the business and in life. Like I just saw, I was at a point where every design was custom and it was really exhausting. And I saw the allure of greeting cards for sure. You know, you make a couple designs you're passionate about and put them out there and then you don't have clients asking you for edits. And, you know, it's kind of like a one and done thing. And I love greeting cards, but I tried to do it on my own. And I just, I didn't really feel like I had an original Point of view, it was. You know, I felt like I was kind of struggling for that, and it was also that there were just so many other people that do it so well, and I could tell it was such a passion for them um, that I just decided it wasn't the right choice. I mean, I learned a lot because I I printed a ton, so you know I learned a lot about printing. I also learned a lot. Just, it was an expensive lesson, also, just because I you know I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on paper and on plates. And I, it was just a lesson as far as like, yeah, just kind of to do, to go your own way and, you know, to not really care so much about what other people are doing, which I think has been, you know, at the risk of sounding like, you know, too full of myself or something. But I think that's probably been one of my, my strongest points is that I've never really been able, I've never really been scared to like do something that's, kind of weird or off the beaten path, or that might not be seen as you know normal for weddings.
0: What's the most challenging thing about what you do? Printing technicalities or like running a business?
1: A little column
0: A, a little column B. <laughs>
1: um, printing, you know what? It's funny because we we print things that have really tight registration. And also when I say we, um, it's myself. I have a team, so I don't want to take all the credit. I have an incredible press woman named Kate who's there with me every single day who started as an intern years ago. And then I taught her how to press and now she's I would venture to say she's probably the best printer in the country. <laughs> she's incredible and you know so just to make sure that that's clear and I also have a couple other people on my team that help me, you know, run a business. So technically as far as like the letterpress technique, we do a lot of stuff with really tight registration and I think it's funny because a lot of people think it's really hard and like it is, it takes patience to get the registration perfect. And for anyone listening, registration is when you line up two or more colors to be like perfectly aligned. Yeah. So a lot of people think it's hard, but it's really, it's not that hard. Like it just takes a lot of patience and skill, but once you have it, that's it. And it's, I think technically the hard thing is just how fickle letterpress printing is, period. Like Especially now, you know, I used to always print on Vandercooks. You know, it was only Vandercook; they're just a dream to work with. They definitely have their they have their weaknesses, but they have a ton of strengths. But then we moved to Windmills, and that was just like a whole other beast. They're so fickle; like sometimes it'll work, and then it'll just stop picking up paper. And we always joke around. We're like, oh, maybe you know, the tides changed or something. We totally like we don't know why it's so fickle. So I think that's the hard thing. And I think the reason also why that makes it hard is it's really hard for me personally to project, you know, like profit margin on a, on one specific job, because there's been times where we have a single, like a note, a note card, a note card with a name at the top. And you think it would be the easiest thing ever. And it takes an entire day because there's something weird with the way the serifs on the plate and the letter and the fonts that I chose are hitting the plate at a weird angle. There's just I think that's the hardest thing is the unpredictability of it all. Because sometimes we'll do like a five color landscape and Kate will print, you know, a hundred of them in a day and it will be flawless, you know, relatively flawless. And then other times it's like a single color note card that takes like two days. And I'm like, okay, well if I do the math, I just lost a bunch of money on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And how old are the presses that you're working with? I mean, that, that definitely I'm sure is a factor.
1: They're all, um, from, let me see, my Chandler and Price is, or it's a, it's a Kluge, sorry, but it's exactly like Chandler and Price. That's from, I think, 1903, maybe. And then my Vandercooks are from the 1960s. And I believe my windmills are too. I don't have a date on my windmills, but I'm sure I could find it.
0: It's incredible to think that we're all walking around with our iPhones or our, we're using our Mac laptops. And then you're doing work on these beautiful hundred old year old pieces of equipment that are producing stunning work things that you could never achieve digitally
1: oh yeah I mean the older the better too like my paper I have two paper cutters but my manual paper cutter is from 1898 so that's the oldest piece we have and it works perfectly it's like so well made everything older is better
0: (laughs) that's hilarious so it's from the 1800s yeah that's incredible
1: yeah, and it works perfectly. I mean, it's a man. It's a manual. It's just a big guillotine paper cutter. So you know, there's not much stuff that could go wrong on it. But yeah, it's our oldest piece.
0: What's your advice for designers who maybe want to get started doing something similar to what you're doing? Not sure where to start. Whether that's letterpress or design or where do you start? I'll break
1: this up into two kind of answers. Logistically, where to start? I think if you have a medium that interests you, I would find a local school or maybe a business that does lessons. You know, my husband is a screen printer actually. Um, and he, that's amazing. He's a screen printer. You're a letterpress printer. Yes. But it was, kind. it was like when we met, he was a consultant and I was in production and then I took letterpress and then he had an interest in screen printing. So we both kind of like took a lesson and then it became our lives. So if, it wasn't this. like a huge story of like people meeting at like a crafts, you know, like a craft swap. It was more just like, we wanted to do something creative. He learned to screen print the same way that I learned letterpress, which was there was a you know a somewhat local shop offering like a mini two to three hour lesson. We took the lesson and then from there we rented machines. So that's how I learned. Obviously that one lesson you know changed my life because I just became obsessed with it. But I think that's my first my first piece of advice is that if there's something you're curious about or something you want to learn, I would just try really hard to learn as much as you can about it and see if it's something you want to do. And I think it's like, you know, if you want to do letterpress, find a local letterpress shop and see if they would teach you a lesson. If they say no, you can try to nag them, offer them a lot more money, you know, just, (laughs) I mean, that's what I do. I'm like, I won't take no for an answer. You know, I teach lessons. So I think to be creative in like how you try to get access, because it's not like you can order a letterpress machine on Amazon and try it, right? And then my next piece of advice, just for anyone in general, starting out with a creative business is that I I would first listen to (laughs) The Gap by Ira Glass, which is, I don't know, are you familiar with that? It basically talks about like the struggle of anyone, like of a creative artist. So whether you're a writer or a designer or a sculptor or anything like that. It basically talks about the gap between your skill and what you see that's out there. And it's, I encourage anyone to listen to it. It's amazing. And yeah, it's, it, it really listening to it really kind of changed my perspective on things. And um, I'm excited to check this out. Yeah. And then I think also just as far as design, I think, I think it's designing for yourself and don't jump into getting clients right away. and I think that's again somewhere where I had the the benefit of being in that situation is when I started letter pressing, I was still working full time in production. And I was letter pressing on the side. So I didn't depend on letter press and on, you know, swell press to make ends meet. Like that was really just a hobby. But what that allowed was that it took off the financial pressure of having to make money from swell press. And it just kind of let me play around with it. So the first, you know, year I just made up, like I just made up clients. I made up my dream clients. You know, like if you scroll back to my feed, half the stuff I post like aren't even real, but it's because I didn't, I didn't want to rush and get clients. And then my vision that I had and the direction that I wanted Swell Press to go would then get watered down by a client or would get you know edited and changed. And the original spirit of the piece that I wanted to create would just get beaten out of it by the time it gets produced. So I had the benefit of what I produced early on was basically solely what I wanted to do with no outside influence. And I think that really helped me learn a lot in so many ways as far as just like, forging my own path
0: and my own aesthetic i love that and the fact that letterpress didn't have to pay the bills at first yeah and that that allowed your kind of creativity to flourish and i don't know if you've read the book big magic yes by elizabeth gilbert so she talks a lot about that in in that book the sense or the the idea that your creativity or your creative outlet uh doesn't necessarily um or you shouldn't make it pay the bills
1: yeah I think she says something about like demanding your hobby that it like that it not only or demanding that you're like your your creativity or your passion like not only does it fulfill you but
0: now it also has to pay your bills and make you money or something along those lines. Yes. yes. So I love that idea. The fact that yeah, you just you've made up or you, you made up clients, uh, dream clients and you you printed and you learned and you were creative and I think that's such a smart way to go about starting a business.
1: Yeah. It was very much like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Like the first, I don't even know, dozens of projects I did were all, you know, I did them for a lot cheaper than I should have, you know, but it was something that I wanted, you know, if they were for a client, I, you know, I did them for cheaper, but if they were for myself, I was just
0: putting the work out there that I wanted to be known for. I admire you for that, for doing, doing it that way. Speaking of posts on Instagram or social media, are there any favorite places where you go for design inspiration, or any specific accounts that you follow that you think are doing amazing work?
1: I am like, gosh, am I going to like forget a friend? And get no, um, I, fo- I follow a lot of calligraphers because I love the skill of calligraphy. It's not a skill that I have. I'm, t- I, you know, I've, I tried it a couple times I just didn't have it so now if I need calligraphy I just pay someone else to do it for me so I follow a lot of calligraphers I follow a lot of like you know some brand designers you know photographers a lot of like earth or beach accounts or things like that I'm trying to think of something that might be like unexpectedly inspirational but I'm totally I'm really not sure I'm gonna have to get back to you on that
0: Oh, that's okay. I know those are, those are great suggestions in terms of, of what kind of where you find your inspiration. And speaking of calligraphy, yeah, that, that I've been doing a lot of research recently about calligraphy for my classes and it's quite a skill. It's quite an amazing, and like hand lettering, it's, it's a whole art form in and of itself. It is. It, it takes a lot of like practicing with like a purpose. And I think that's where I'm too
1: impatient, which is funny because a lot of breast takes like, the most patients, but maybe that's where all my patience goes. Um, I'm, but I'm like too impatient to sit here and know that I have to practice every single day for six months. And then maybe
0: my work will be passable. I just like, I don't have that in me. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do or to get in touch? Where is the best place to find you? I think I would start on my Instagram, which the handle is swell press. and I think there
1: mostly because um, if you catch me on, a, you know, on a on a good week where I'm I'm in the sweet spot of being busy but also not being too busy, where I have time to Instagram story, I find a lot of behind the scenes on Instagram where I you know I walk through the process um, and things like that. And then on my website, there's, um, which is swellpresspaper.com, there's information about letterpress. And then we also teach um, classes. I teach a one-on-one class. And then I also teach a weekend intensive that happens a couple times a year um, where people, you know, come in and they can use the presses. And, you know, we have all three types of the main presses, which is a platen press, a cylinder press, and a windmill. um, So people can kind of get exposed to each of the presses and see what might fit their needs because you know there's so many different types of presses and I'm asked so much, you know, what's the best uh, you know, type of press to get? And I'm like, well, what are, this is a 20 minute conversation because what are your needs? You know, Every press you know, serves a different um, criteria
0: differently. Now I've started a little tradition. So this is the very last question I'll ask. What, if you had to choose only one typeface to use for the rest of your life, it's the only one you could use. <laughs> what would you use and why?
1: Oh my God. I'm going to say the most boring answer. I mean, have other people answered like exciting things or like I have like my answer is literally the most boring answer. Go for it. What is it? It's Mr. Eve's modern. It's just like, it's just a plain sans serif and it looks kind of like Avenir or, you know, I don't, it's just to me, it's like the most perfect sans serif and I use it. All the time, and I'm obsessed with it. It's like always my sub font. You know, I have my like certain favorites of you know like of the serifs and the calligraphy and stuff like that. But if I had to choose one, that would be it. That's a great answer. What's wrong with that? What What has been your most Have you gotten like a surprising answer to that?
0: Someone say like um What's the, uh, like Comic Sans? <laughs> no, no, not not yet. the The answer is I had two Futuras. I hate futura. I know that's weird. I have a you do? I
1: hate the way oh. the R's look. They really bother me. I think it's yeah, so again I feel very strongly about fonts. Sometimes I will use lowercase futura if it's small and spread out. Rarely will you see me use uppercase futura. I, I used one once in a design a long time ago and now people request it and it hurts my heart because I have like a big issue with that. Yeah. I don't know if that's sorry. Sorry if anyone's listening and they said that. It's just, it's funny. I have like strong reactions. I, It's like there's certain letters that are in Futura gets me. I don't know. <laughs>
0: that's so funny. And the other one, the other one that was popular, Proxima Nova. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good. Yeah. That is a good one. Overall, yeah. nice sans serif type. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Britt, for joining me today. And I really appreciate all of your insight and sharing everything that you've shared with us. I wish you all the best in everything you do. And I hope to connect again soon. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. Another episode is In the Books. Thanks for hanging out with me, and I look forward to the next time we get to talk paper-scissors.